Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Roundtable Sports Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Newman, and I do not have anybody with me. This is the solo cast today. Uh, the NFL offseason is winding down. We are going to have some heavy UFC talk because I've been watching all year. Um, as casually as I do watch fights um, without, without any knowledge in it, uh, we will get into some UFC. But um, my community lost a true and valued member. And uh, I have some words prepared that I'd like to say for that. Over the course of seven years, you could argue that no quarterback was better than Lenny the Cool Dawson. He threw 182 touchdowns from 1962 to 1969. And in 1966, he led the Chiefs to an AFL championship victory in a 31-7 skunking of the Buffalo Bills. This would earn the Chiefs a pioneering trip to the first ever Super Bowl between the AFL and the NFL. They were Blown out 35 to 10 by Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers. But Lynn would not let that haunt his career. Just a few seasons later, he and the Chiefs would earn another shot in that Super Bowl. Super Bowl 4. And following Joe Namath and the Jets, the Chiefs and Lynn Dawson became the second franchise and quarterback to win the Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP. A true pioneer of the game, that all is pretty well known. But his story goes deeper, as he became a top media personality for our NBC affiliate, and always expressed positivity in the most grueling of times for this Kansas City franchise. We love you, and we miss you, Lynn. Sincerely, all of Kansas City. 87 years, the man lived a long and prosperous life. Uh, I'm just so grateful and thankful that Lynn was somebody who in this city um, asked the right questions, kept the fans engaged, listening, and, and having a positive outlook despite the fact that, um, you know, we had some terribly shitty franchises. But this guy literally picked the Chiefs to win on NBC Every time he got the opportunity to go to the national booth, every damn time, and it it was always just something that that would keep a young fan engaged enough, caring enough, and knowing enough about the players to to want to engage and, and still be around. Um, when was amazing he's like i said he's gonna be so dearly missed around here uh but let's start to get into what my followers are gonna want to talk about um you know i don't want to dwell on this uh we're still in the morning process uh so to you know break the morning process um a little bit Let's uh, get into what my followers want to talk about. Like I said, the UFC, we're going to talk a little bit about that. The NFL offseason, of course, I'll probably go into that as well. Um, but this past weekend, um, what's being touted as 
the greatest come from behind victory in mixed martial arts history as Leon Rocky Edwards um, put the Nigerian nightmare, uh, Kamaru Usman, uh, that is the nickname that he was, uh, you know, kind of the fans really like to throw that one out there. Anytime there's somebody from Nigeria, everybody from Kansas City knows Christian Okoye, uh, people in the MMA community, they don't. But um, Kamaru uh, was one of the greatest champions, if not the greatest welterweight champion in in UFC history. Um, but uh, he was winning the fight uh, probably four or three rounds and then going on if if the round would have finished four rounds to one. But with about a minute left in the fight, Leon Edwards landed a, a snappy head kick that uh, Kamaru kind of fainted into because of a, a jab that was thrown right before. And it, it was a... Um, epic moment to see really in in the sport of mixed martial arts uh that is what it's all about you know those those snap moments uh football they say any given sunday and um the ufc and at mixed martial arts they say uh anything can happen when that uh, cage door closes so uh yeah um yeah it was the most teachable moment, in my opinion, and that I've seen in mixed martial arts that you just cannot coast. The stakes were so high for Kamaru Usman. He was up four rounds to one at the round, and, and you're not up in a round until you hear the horn. So so that's what you know. some of these guys have, have, have got to start understanding. You, you cannot coast. The fans don't like it. It doesn't get you your bonus, and, and it, Leon was able to capitalize on, on Kamaru's mistake. Um with that said, it's Leon's birthday. I've got a contact over in Scotland and Ross Houston, the former Cage Warriors welterweight champion and uh, uh, Bellator fighter who is uh, currently retired. He's, he's probably permanently retired. Um, but uh, we've got action coming up. I'm going to pass on a personalized happy birthday there to, to Leon that way. Um, but we've got some good action coming up. Uh, UFC 279 on September 10th and uh, UFC 280 on October 22nd. Of course, everybody is is waiting to see uh, Islam Makhachev, um, the protege of uh, the protege of uh, <laughs> of Khabib and Abdulmanap, taking on Charles Dubronx, the champ Oliveira, um, in what is a undisputed title fight. Uh, and then at uh, UFC 279, we're going to see um, the final fight in the UFC for uh, Nate Diaz. Now that is um, with a little bit of a caveat there. The UFC, of course, is probably not going to re-sign him if he loses. Uh, and it would be a good move for both of them, both, uh, both Diaz and the company. But if he, you know, I see a lot of disrespect out there counting Nate Diaz out. Uh, he damn near got Leon at the at the end of their fight, so so I, I wouldn't count him out. Chimaev is a different kind of beast, though. He punishes people to the nth degree, um, and all I gotta say is those guys are gonna make some damn money. It's a Nate Diaz fight, and and Tony Ferguson is also on the card, um, and, and even though there's no title fight, it, it's gonna sell still. Um, before that, we've got uh, UFC Fight Night uh, between. Um, Five knockout in a row knockout artist, Ty Tuivasa. His last knockout came over the KO King, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Um, Ty has looked extremely sharp. It, 
and I was a hater. I'm not going to lie. You know, I kind of thought, why is this guy, you know, why is this guy uh, being touted so highly whenever he was first signed? Uh, it does not, he, he doesn't have the looks, you know, of, of a killer. But beyond that, his technique and his power are, are incredible. Um, something people often say about Surreal Khan is, you know, impeccable technique, maybe, um, better than Francis is what they were saying before you, you see what happens. Um, (laughs) it's, it's like, uh, oh, by that logic, uh, Francis in five, uh, by that logic, Francis KO by this logic, it's just Francis is that good of a champion at, at, at heavyweight Francis and Ganu. Is, is something else. This is the heavyweight title eliminator, in my opinion. Gan will get a rematch, which would be an immediate rematch for the champion. Um, not an immediate rematch for his opponent, but it would be, you know, um, something something there. Uh, I, I think if Ty wins, immediate title shot, please, please, come on. But... <laughs> But uh, some fans are, are definitely going to have different, differing opinions about that. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a freaking casual. I, my knowledge does not come from training in, in any martial arts backgrounds or techniques. You know, I did karate at school whenever I was a kid. But I am, you know, no killer in any regard. Um, So there's a heavyweight banger, but uh, middleweights are going to go at it. Former champion Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whitaker, um, the guy who is you know most closely contested, Israel Adesanya. Um, you know, lost by KO in the first matchup, came back in the second matchup and went the distance with him. Um, taking on Marvin Vittori, who has also fought Israel Adesanya. Um, and, and then earned a decision victory over Paulo Costa in his uh, two previous fights. He has not fought in uh, this year. It's been quite the long layoff. It'll be um, uh, just a, a month and a couple weeks short of a year of a layoff for, for Marvin Vittori, something that a, a lot of people did say that he was going to uh, need to kind of kind of plan this out with the way the division was with, with Adesanya. Um Kind of, kind of taking all comers as 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 he has, uh, and, and then going up to light heavyweight. Like I said, you know, taking on all comers, and then and then that not that one not going his way. Uh, he was unfortunately the bounce back fight for uh, Adesanya, who who uh, incredibly uh, put, kind of put on a, a big time display against Vittori. But Vittori has has learned, and both of these guys have have fought with the champion. Um, They've been, you know, not terrible fights. So uh, competitive action, and and uh, I I think you know Robert Whitaker uh, age is a factor, but it's not like Robert Whitaker has been uh, KO'd several several times. It's just you know twice that he's he's been KO'd. So. Um, I think Bobby Knuckles is going to be able to scrape this one out. Uh, I will be rooting for Robert in this. I, I do personally think both of these fighters are uh, top-notch when it comes to um, um, 
being about it, being about the sport. Uh, so, so that's a good co-main there for the upcoming September 3rd, uh, fight night. Um, so we'll go ahead and give you the, uh, bout order for that fight night, uh, coming up here on September 3rd. Um, we've got kicking off the night, Nasruddin Imovov taking on Jokian Buckley, Benoit Saint-Denis versus Gabriel Miranda in the second bit of action there on the prelims and in the featured prelim bout, Zarath Farim Dos Santos taking on Alan Perez and then Charles Sturdain and Nathaniel Wood will kick off the main card. Both of these can be found on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, John McDaisy taking on Nasrat Hakparaz. Uh, and what could be the people's main event there? Alicio Di Chirichio taking on Roman Kopolov, and then Robert Whitaker taking on Marvin Vittori. Of course, our main event we've talked about, Surreal Gone and Tai Tuivasa. That will get us into the Diaz and Shmaev card, which also features Tony Ferguson, who is personally one of my favorite guys to watch fight ever. And I, I think I speak for the MMA community. Uh, him moving up to 170 here and taking on a a solid and tough opponent, and who's coming off a victory over Muslim Solikov. It Li Jing Liang is not not to be trifled with, but both of them are are you know up there in age. You got Lee is uh, 34, Tony is 38. Um, and he's on a he's on a four fight skid right now, and the last one of course was uh it it was fucking tough man that that shit is tough to watch whenever it's two fighters you really fucking love like Michael Chandler and um and Tony himself uh but that I want to see Tony get back in the win column I think it's a fight that he's you know well within uh he's he's well within his his skill set to win. Uh, a fight against uh, Li Jingliang, and um, you know, and we're not going to be overconfident, but it's a fucking Tony Ferguson fight. Get ready to fucking get loud, and get ready to get fucking paid if you're a fighter. And to be honest with you, the rest of that card does not move the needle like Tony and Nate do to me personally. I have not analyzed everything, uh, but. Uh, Corey Sandhagen will be uh, taking on Song Yadong Yadong Song on a fight night, and then there's a Mackenzie Dern fight night. But let's go ahead and skip forward to UFC 280. We've talked a little bit about Islam and Charles, but let's get into this uh, quote from Gaethje. Justin Gaethje said that uh, 100% Islam will not dominate versus Charles. I think um, here's the thing. Justin has fought Charles Oliveira, and he has fought Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is the coach of Islam Makhachev. But Makhachev is is possibly a different beast. I mean, it was Abdul Manap, who is Khabib's father's favorite student, and Khabib even admits this, that it was his favorite student. And there's got to be a reason why it begs the, it begs the reasoning that, um, you know, Islam Makhachev could possibly be even better than Khabib was. Um, Islam 
second round submission. That's what I will say about it right now. And that's going to change a million times before that fight. Uh, because Charles is, is such a great fighter, but, uh, man, I think, uh, Makachev gets it done. Second round sub, uh, co-main event on the UFC 280 card is Aljamain Sterling taking on TJ Dillashaw in their last outings. Uh, both of them earned split decision victories. TJ's was versus Corey Sandhagen, a noted striker. And, uh, and then Aljo, of course, won the split versus Peter Yan. Um, some people thought Peter won that fight, and I said to that because uh, I was sitting there looking at my buddy. I was like, I can't believe it. Aljamain just fucking defended this thing. I, I was surprised, shocked, and honestly, that's it, pretty fucking awesome to see uh, Aljamain do it. Uh, and then uh, TJ, of course... Uh, there's no time, no place, under no circumstances, under no excuses for doing steroids to game, gain a performance advantage over your opponents. He's a doper, and his legacy is tainted forever for that. That's what I have to say about TJ. He's done some things to make up for it, sure. But that sob story BS... It's like the actions speak louder than words, dog. You were the champion and you were still trying to cheat to beat your opponents who are supposed to be not as good as you. What's this say about your level of confidence? If he comes back, he beats Aljamain Sterling and there's going to be a lot of guys that are fans of him. All the same people that Barry Bones in the Hall of Fame. To be honest with you, no. Fuck no. Different sport. Different talk, different subject. He still had to swing the bat. Still incredible. Still broke the records. Still the record holder. I don't give a fuck about no asterisks. Those are the records. Um, but here in the bantamweight division, I think Aljamain is in his prime. He gained a lot of confidence getting that win against Peter Yan. And TJ's on his way, you know, and he beat Corey Sandhagen in his comeback fight. And... It's going to be a good one. It's it's, it's going to be a good one. Both of these guys know how to how to how to uh, grapple. Not really noted for their striking often, but uh it it's one of those ones it, it's two two little dogs in there. And uh those bantamweights are are, are going to produce some fireworks here. Uh if they don't and and <laughs> if they don't these other bantamweights will, and and it's the people's main event. The banger, Peter Yan taking on Sugar Sean O'Malley. Um, he, <laughs> Sean O'Malley, I'll say this. He was really sharp in that Pedro Munoz fight until Pedro Munoz didn't want to know. Uh, and Peter, you know, there's a Peter Yan fucking argument that he beat Aljamain Sterling. I looked at my friend, like I said, and, and I said, damn, Aljo just defended this goddamn thing. Um, so I, I'm of the belief that, uh, Aljo gets it done against Dillashaw and, uh, Jan and O'Malley here. Jan's grappling is going to be, you know, he's not going to shoot blast fucking doubles or anything like that. I don't think, but when it comes in close, if he's able to, you know, get his, get his paws on O'Malley, he's a fucking strong dude. 
and uh, O'Malley. I think he's a lot fucking stronger than people think. Um, scrappy, wiry guy. We'll see the takedown defense and, and, and everything like that. Um, everybody's like, oh, uh, feed him to the wolves or whatever. <laughs> it went from, it went from, oh, they're not giving him anybody to feed him to the wolf, huh? Uh, just like that. But yeah, you know, I'm looking for a way out here to <laughs> transition to the uh, NFL offseason. Um, that's kind of what's on the slate, what everybody's looking for from the Twitter timeline over at the uh, UFC fans, uh, mixed martial arts fans. Uh, we got our obligatory shout out to Ross Houston <laughs> earlier, early on in this one. Um, we did our eulogy to um, the late great Lynn Dawson, and um, yeah, so let's 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 shoot it over to some uh, NFL talk now. So this offseason was one of the most eventful, one of the most, yeah, definitely the, I'd say the most eventful offseason in NFL history. You have Tom Brady retiring, Bruce Arians then subsequently retiring, Tom Brady coming back and um, saying he'd play for a new coach there in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers. Uh, probably one final ride for Tom Brady. Um, Deshaun Watson the Texans finding a suitor there and the Cleveland Browns who were willing to give up what they gave up. Not very much, but they gave up the future essentially and what they're paying him and the trust that they are putting into him as a player, as somebody that's seen the game from the sidelines um, up close and personal, I would say it's a guy that you cannot have a very long leash with. Um, Anything he says is going to be highly scrutinized. Is that going to be good for a Cleveland Browns team that's already scrutinized to have a super sensitive fan base? And if shit hits the fan in Cleveland within the next two to three seasons, don't be surprised to see another situation with uh, a quarterback like Deshaun Watson kind of, uh, you know, he'll get paid his guaranteed money and be able to pay off um, his wrongdoings and all of that with, but, um, you know, I'm a fan of the second chance. I'm not somebody that's going to sit here and, and, and hate on Deshaun Watson for, for his past. If it is, uh, something that he, uh, has fixed, but some of his comments, you know, uh, his apology at first seemed semi-authentic. And then he comes out and he says some stuff about, I've always maintained my innocence, this, that, and the other. Good on him. Good on him the way that he is handling, you know, maintaining his innocence in this situation. But um, he's going to miss 11 games this season uh, without pay. I believe it's without pay. Uh, Which was kind of already factored into the contract that, a lot of this season's salary was not going to um, affect where he landed. Um, I just don't think it's the right place for Deshaun Watson. The Cleveland Browns are a historically bad franchise. Um, they've made uh, tremendous mistakes in the past that have, <laughs> shit, they've cost them everything. Uh, but um, that's why they have nothing as a franchise. And they are... Uh, basically the pity of, of, of the NFL. 
The only thing that's going to make Deshaun Watson look better in the bigger picture of things is if he's able to take this moment and learn from it the same way that Tyreek Hill was able to take what he was coming into the league with in that baggage and learn from it and set himself up and his family up with generational wealth. Deshaun Watson, he's done the same thing with his ability. What's the payoff going to be for the greater, bigger picture, though? If he wants to have a public image that is worthy of being legacy-defining, it's not going to be because of performance. It's going to be because of how he reacts and upholds himself in the media. This is a man that has maintained his innocence from stage one. I followed the cases, okay? A lot of people have their conspiracies about this, that, and the other, the other. It's all suggestions. This is my suggestion to him. Find his one. Forget about your sex addiction. And become infatuated with winning football games for the Cleveland fucking Browns. Going home from work each and every day. And being a good boyfriend, then husband, then father. That's it. Obviously, that was the loudest from the outside um, story from the NFL offseason. Tom Brady's retirement mentioned that. Tyreek Hill getting traded to the Miami Dolphins. We'll talk a little bit about that. His podcast with his agent was kind of ate up, I think, a little bit. Some of the things that they were exclaiming. But, you know, that's just another revenue stream for Tyreek. Um, and uh, what a way to get it out there for him, too. <laughs> so respect for that shit. But, um the, what he was talking, I, I cannot buy into any of that uh, nonsense about Tua, Tua, <laughs> Tua, Tua Tonga Viola being more accurate than um, Patrick Mahomes. I just, uh, I, I don't see it, and I don't think anybody in the entire world with uh, two eyeballs sees it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, uh, what were some other big things that happened in the NFL offseason? Um I don't know. Uh, the, the, this recent the the cut block on Kayvon Thibodeau, and I've heard people like, "Oh, it's a bad uh, football to be doing that in the preseason." But I mean, that's a fourth string tight end and knows who he's going up against. Uh, supposed to be the you know top edge threat in the draft, and he can't beat a cut block coming from a fourth string tight end or find a way to evade it. Um, you know, there's some things you got to do better, and you can't be perfectly prepared for every situation, especially when you're so young uh, in the game of football like Kayvon Thibodeau is. I think he's going to recover perfectly fine. It didn't look like there I, – I was reading into the updates on it. It didn't look like structural damage or anything like that, so it's going to be kind of a, a feel sort of thing. Hopefully he can get back out before, and, uh, before the regular season starts and not miss any games because uh, it, it, it did look ugly. I will say that the optics of it, it does look ugly, and it's it's something that needs to be looked into as a as a play that can reduce those those knee injuries and and help uh, give these players some longevity in this league. Um, what else we got from the off season? Yeah, so there was a lot of movement this off season uh, as far as the QB 
position goes. Carson Wentz goes uh, from Indianapolis where he failed to get it done against Jacksonville when the fans were wearing freaking clown masks and bags over their head uh, because of how bad the the Jaguars were. Could not get it done, could not get the Colts into the playoffs despite having one of the best uh, running back seasons there from in a long time. From out of out of Jonathan Taylor, out of JT Carson Wentz going to the Washington Commanders. He's going to be paired up with head coach Ron Rivera there. Uh, Riverboat Ronnie's got himself a mobile quarterback. You know, Riverboat Ronnie likes to do with those sorts of guys. We'll see if um, that's a match. That's that, that's good. Um, you've got Matt Ryan um, going to the uh, Indianapolis Colts, Sam Darnold ending up with the Carolina Panthers who found themselves uh, the beneficiary of that Deshaun Watson deal by getting Baker Mayfield as well. So uh, Carolina's got a little bit to look forward there. Uh, Matt Rule um, uh, got uh, Baker and Sammy D. So um, whichever one is the odd man out is, is, is uh, trade bait. So uh, yes, yes, yes. More, more, more for, for Carolina at the, at the QB carousel. Uh, you got uh, uh, Dak Prescott uh, um, is franchised, I think this season. So he's going to be uh, getting paid the, the highest contract probably ever after, after the year is over, if he's able to uh, play on par with what he's been doing uh russell wilson going to the division rivals of my home team the kansas city chiefs i uh i don't know man um i don't think the seahawks made a very wise decision and 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 moving on from russ but uh he's getting up there in age but i mean he's still uh got several years of his prime left uh maybe not uh mobile mobile wise but um um combination football quarterback position wise could be um some solid uh extra years of his prime in denver you've got uh Cortland sutton there um to go along with the young buck uh, jerry judy and uh kj hamler and and tim patrick uh so he's got some he's got some pretty good weapons there some underrated guys uh i think russ is gonna uh he, he should be a, a solid player there for Denver. Um, now, on the flip side of the ball, it's a different story. Uh, that's the QB carousel, though. Uh, let's um, move into like uh, some of the other big signings. Uh, the wide receiver market was dominated by my Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I'm fucking jazzed about that. We got Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Juju Smith-Schuster. We drafted uh, Sky Moore. Um, so far... Uh, <laughs> We, there's a, uh, you know, a lot of. Um, there's actually a couple guys still on the market that I was surprised to see that were still out there. Ty Hilton is still on the market, and uh, I think Seattle, Seattle. I've called them out for Jimmy Garoppolo. Now I'm calling them out to go get um, Ty, and I know they have Dwayne Eskridge and, and DK Metcalf, uh, and they have um, a young buck. I'm playing my franchise on Madden as as QB one over there for them. And, um, they, they're fucking, um, 
they're in a position. It's so weird with Jordan Brooks as as the new emergent leader on the defense. They were able to move on from Bobby Wagner and maybe save themselves a few dollar bills, but uh, put themselves in kind of a shit situation as far as the quarterback goes. And I think Pete Carroll is up for the challenge. Um, now politics wise in the NFL, I know uh, a guy signing with the division rival is something that that. I don't know. Maybe Jimmy G will try to spite the 49ers and, and does not give a fuck and will go and, and play for the Seattle Seahawks. That would make the best football season, in my opinion. Shoot. Uh, football politics, all this, everything aside. Um, they had the new Madden 23 that came out, and I got to say, presentation-wise, it's spectacular. Rest in peace to John Madden. I love Madden, and I get it every year, even though I say I'm not going to fucking get it. This year's game is absolute dog shit, though. Uh, Madden NFL 23, visu- visu- visually spectacular, single-player-wise spectacular, but when it comes to ultimate team and head-to-head, they have tried to make this game competitive that they've lost its roots and the fact that it's a it's a video game and the skill should be the skill, not these uh, traits that you can unlock for your character by gaining experience in the game, which uh, I understand. It adds a story aspect to uh, an individualistic aspect to a live and online game mode like Ultimate Team. Um, I came on to Ultimate Team in, I think, Madden 12, which was the second year. It was either the first or the second year. We possibly came... I Actually, we did. At the very, very end, we were flipping the auction house on, on one of the old ones. And somehow, I, I don't know. But get me on to Madden. I'll, I'll tell you some something that I do like. I, I like the progression in, in face of the franchise. I still don't see any reason why it couldn't have been this in-depth last year. But uh, they were too focused on running their events and their tournaments and everything trying to find a way to do that while there was a pandemic going on, which I get that, but um, everything's all digital and everything nowadays. Um, thanks Obama. I'm not sure I like it. I really, I, I, I don't, I'd rather, you know, it'd be all systems go on a, on, on a um, analog sort of, sort of video gaming setup. But um we got to roll with the times and uh, we're running out of time here on the round table sports podcast. This has been your host, Jonathan Newman. I have got to go win a championship with Ricky Miller dog, Ricky Miller. He broke the record for yards and touchdowns in his fifth season with the Seattle Seahawks uh, played his first four years in Las Vegas with the Raiders. We didn't get, uh, didn't get to do, uh, much with him, but Manny Kuaha or whatever his name is, is our offensive coordinator in Seattle with old Petey Ball Coach. And Petey Ball Coach is about to get another title, baby. Let's go, football. Um, follow me at Talk More Sports on Twitter. This has been your host, John Newman. I'm out. <laughs>